Uh, only a few of you know who Sammy Davis Jr. was. Um, but back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, he was a very famous entertainer. And uh, he was mostly a singer and a dancer, and he was particularly good at tap dancing. And one of his mentors was a gentleman by the name of Gregory Hines, who also is a relatively well-known entertainer and tap dancer. And I mostly remember Gregory Hines from watching Sesame Street with my kids. And he would be on there and he'd do these tap dances with the characters from Sesame Street. But Gregory Hines really learned how to do dancing from Sammy Davis Jr. And when Sammy Davis Jr. was dying... Gregory Hines went to go see him. Davis had throat cancer, and when Davis visited him the last, or when Hines visited Davis the last time, Davis couldn't speak any longer. And so Hines spent some time with Sammy Davis, and he was recalling this event at Davis's funeral. And he said, "I spent some time with with Sammy, and then I left, and I walked towards the door. And just before I walked out of the door, I turned, and I could hear Sammy moving." And, and he got up and he looked at me and he, he just pretended to pick up a ball and he passed it to me. And it was his way of saying, now you carry on. You, you take what I've given you and you take it to the next generation. And so he walked out and Sammy Davis Jr. died a few days later. Essentially, that's what's happening in 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is dying, and he's got this young pastor, this young person who he's been the mentor of, Timothy, and he's left him behind in Ephesus. And in this, this chapter, in this letter, Paul is taking this ball, and he's passing it on now to Timothy and say, Timothy, you're going to carry the ball. And not only are you going to carry it, I'm going to ask you, and he says this, I'm going to ask you to then pass the ball to other men who can then take it to the next generation. And essentially, I've been past the ball in some ways all the way back from the Apostle Paul until today. And I want you to think of yourself this morning, especially if you're a young person, as somebody who's receiving the pass, that by the preaching of this sermon, by the preaching of this series, in some sense, I'm passing this along to you so that you will be faithful, you will be a good workman, you will be able to entrust these things, whether it's to your children, or whether it's to your neighbors, or whether it's to this community, or wherever you go, you're going to be equipped, you're going to be God's workman, and you're going to be able to rightly divide the truth, you're going to live out what it means to look like a follower of Christ, and so we're talking about those characteristics specifically here in chapter 2. Throughout chapter 2, Paul has been providing sort of this verbal PowerPoint. So in case one illustration doesn't get you, another one does. Like a good preacher, he's got five different illustrations. So if you're falling asleep, you can say, oh yeah, I'm like that. I can pick back up. And so Paul says, well, being a follower of Christ is sort of like being a soldier. And then he talks about that. Or it's like being an athlete. Or it's like being a farmer. And then here he talks about, it's like being a good worker in verse 15, or being an honorable vessel in verse 20, or verse 24, being a servant. So if 
Paul was a pastor, he would have had his PowerPoint display up this morning saying, if you really want to be a follower of Christ, it's going to look like one of these pictures. And I want you to notice something very important about verse 21, because Paul lays down this very tremendous challenge to Timothy, but also to us. Look at what he says. Now, Timothy, I want you to be a vessel for honorable use. Timothy, I want you to be set apart as holy. Timothy, I want you to be useful to the master of the house. Timothy, I want you to be ready for every good work. You've probably been in some sort of group activity, some getting to know you activity, and somebody, the leader says, now, if you were to die, what would you want written on your tombstone? And you couldn't find better qualities of a person to have written down as saying, hey, I was useful to the master. When God came to the house, he picked me up to use me. If he's the coach and he looks down the bench, he says, hey, that person, he or she, they're prepared to play any position that God could look at you or God could look at me and say, they were my go-to person. I mean, it didn't matter what the assignment was. That person was prepared. Any good work, they were willing to say, hey, here I am. I'll go play that position. And so that's essentially what Paul is trying to help Timothy think through. Timothy, be this kind of person. Let people see this in you. And so I say, yes, I want to be that kind of person. But then I immediately ask myself, well, how is it that I can be useful to the master? And the answer is in verse 21. Notice what he says. This is the real critical part. Anyone who cleanses, cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. Anyone who cleanses himself. So we're not talking about salvation here because we already know that nobody can clean themselves up and then be approved to God. That's called religion. That's not called Christianity. Religion is making some sort of effort to say, hey, I'm sort of good enough. I've made the top 50%. I'm better than that person. And you do something thinking, because I am this way, God's going to love me and he's going to receive me into heaven. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity, as you were saved by grace, there isn't anything you can do to clean yourself up enough. So God sent his perfect son to be a substitute in our place and we've talked about that a number of times now paul is moving he's sort of pivoting to from salvation to this process of sanctification and through the grace of god now you have a role to play you have a, a the chance to look at yourself and begin to cleanse yourself from these things i like how uh, paul says it in titus for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I want you to just say that word with me, because I think that's a word that most people have a hard time saying. It's a very difficult word. It's the word no. So let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. No. See, that wasn't that hard. Was it? But, I mean, in our culture, what happens is I just can't say no. 
I just can't look at this thing or look at this issue or whatever it may be and say, no, I'm not moving in that direction. I'm not thinking in that direction. I'm not doing those things anymore. But Paul is saying, you have the grace of God and now you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to look at things that were the old way and say, no, I'm not going in that direction. I'm moving in this direction. So Paul talks about it here in these last verses of the chapter, really in three different categories. They're pretty easy to see. First, flee. Move away from. Have nothing to do with. Do not be. Those are phrases in these verses. So you're, you're fleeing something, but then you're fleeing to something because he uses the word pursue. Be this kind of person. And then finally, in the third category, verse 22, it says, do these things with others who call on the name of the Lord. So I preferred this as one writer put it. The key to your usefulness is measured by what are you running from? What are you running toward? And who are you running with? So if you want to think about it in that sort of neat category, to be truly useful, to be ready, to be prepared, to be to the go-to person, you need to examine yourself and say, what is it I'm running from? What is it I'm running toward? And who is it that I'm running with? Because if you get those three things down, you can pretty much sketch out somebody's life. Now, if you're a parent of a teenager or you work with teenagers, you've said this many, many times. Son, daughter, what are you running from? What are you running toward? And who are you running with? If I can look at your life and I can look at those three categories, once I see those categories, I can go ahead and tell you the line that you're going to be pursuing. And so we'll see this in this text. What are you running from? What are you running toward? And who are you running with? First of all, what are you running from? Very easy to see. Flee youthful passions. Another translation says, flee the wayward impulses of youth. So this doesn't mean every young person is evil. Well, I mean, some of them, no, just it, what it means is there are impulses that when you're young are more likely to be a part of your life. And probably when you read this, you think flee the, the evil passions or the youthful passions and you so maybe immediately think of sexual passions. And probably Paul is talking about that to Timothy. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only category. That's, that is an issue for those who are young, but it's not the only issue. How about the hunger for the approval of others? I mean, these are issues that plague people all their lives, but you see it particularly in the youth. I've just got to have somebody to like me. How about speaking and then thinking? That's pretty common, is it not? If you have teenagers in your house, hey, that's a good speech. Did you think about that? Well, no, I didn't. Okay, well, let's think before we speak. That would be something you'd have if you were youthful or strong opinions about every issue. Pretty common amongst uh, college campuses. Oh, now I've gotten college now. I know it all, and I can give you my strong opinion in a very small bumper sticker kind of answer to all the world's problems. Just come to me. I've now been enlightened. 
This is very this was very common for Paul Phillips when he was younger. Very common for people who are younger or in patience. Let, let's change right now. I'm tired of working through this problem. Let's just go ahead and make it happen. I was reading an article in the newspaper and it talked about the challenges when we have world disasters. And it was obviously particularly focused in on Haiti. And it talked about the problem because what happens today is you can watch a disaster unfold on your cell phone. Somebody can take a picture, send it to your cell phone or a video to your cell phone, and you're watching it almost in real time, but you can't get the help there. Because the speed of information travels much faster than the speed of transformation, does it not? That's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, you have the right information. You know how to divide the, the word of God. Great. But the speed of information is very different than the speed of transformation. So when you get to your congregation and you say, hey, these are the things that we're about, don't expect them to go out and say, I've got it all down. Done. Next thing. That doesn't happen with a congregation. That doesn't happen with a family. You have to remind them over and over and over of these things because the speed of transformation is much slower. Now, as most of you know, several folks went to Haiti right before the earthquake, and we ran into these four college grads. Delightful. They were 23, 24-year-old. They were making an enormous difference in Haiti and particularly in the orphanage at Messe. And so we were just, we were, as most of us were around in our 40s, and we were just thrilled to be with these guys who were so excited and exuberant and wanted to give their life away to this uh, mission. But it didn't take too many days before you begin to see there was some, some tension underneath that veneer of youthfulness. And it only took another day or so to find out what it was. Hey, things just weren't, aren't working as fast as I want them to work. I mean, I'm going to be here for a whole year, so let's go ahead and change Haiti during this year. And all the 40-year-old guys just sat back. Be patient. You're not going to get it all done. You know what? There's going to be work left when you leave. It wasn't that hard for us to assess that. But when you're young, hey, we've got to have it done right now. We've got a limited amount of time. We've got the information. Let's get it done right now. And so that can be something that Timothy would be dealing with as a pastor. And so Paul says to Timothy, flee these things. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say identify them, analyze them, manage them. He doesn't say, slouch away from these things, hoping that they'll catch up with you eventually. He's saying, run away from these things. He's not saying, negotiate with these evil desires. Don't say it's, well, it's only one time, Paul. Or, hey, tomorrow I'm going I'm to be different. Nobody knows. It's not hurting anybody. Hey, God's going to forgive me. Don't negotiate. Flee. Run away from these things. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't linger around these places or these people or these things that are causing you 
to fall away. And this is where I want us just to turn quickly to Genesis chapter 13, verse 8, because this is a great Old Testament story that tells us, and most of us are somewhat familiar with it, Abraham has got this nephew Lot, and they've gotten into a quarrel because there's too many of them, especially livestock, and too few blades of grass. So they need to sort of divide. And if you look in verse 5, of chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse 8, it says, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Is, is, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take to the land to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you take to the right, then I'm going to go to the left. Verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the Jordan Valley that was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Verse 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. See, he's pitching his tent near the problem. And what do we find out? It doesn't take long before Lot does what? He moves into the city. And the city is so wicked that God has sent him angels to destroy the city. Now look at chapter 19. Just turn right a couple of pages. And this is what's happening now. So these angels have come to assess the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is within the city. Look at uh, verse 15, chapter 19. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot. Now, you need to go back and read before this point because it just sets a picture that I actually don't want to talk about here of how wicked Sodom had become. So in the morning, angels are urging Lot, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, what does it say? But he hesitated. Or he lingered. It's worth asking ourselves and pausing just for a moment. Are you lingering somewhere? Are you hesitating somewhere? You know. You know you shouldn't be living this close. You know you're negotiating with sin. You know you're lingering or hesitating. And Paul said, if you want to be a good workman, if you want to be the person that God looks down the bench and says, they're ready. Then you can't linger around these areas. You, you must flee. And then on the other side, Paul says, pursue, or, or in the Greek it means take aim at these things. Just point yourself in this direction righteousness and love and faith he mentions all of these it reminds me of philippians 3 brothers i do not consider that i have made it made it on my own but one thing i do i i'm forgetting what lies behind i'm straining forward to what lies ahead i'm pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call paul's ready he's preparing he's running away from things he's running towards things and we need to ask and examine our own hearts Second thing we see here is Paul is, 
as he passes the leadership to Timothy. We look in verse 23 and 24, and this is really a theme throughout these uh, 12 verses here. He says this, Have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversy. You know, they only breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So one of the characteristics of a good workman is not being quarrelsome. Alistair Begg, I don't know if you know that name, but what an excellent preacher, a man who was born in Scotland. He's got a great Scottish accent, and he's uh, been a pastor in a church in Cleveland now for some 15 years. And this is what he says about this particular verse. I've been in the evangelical circle since 1952. And one of the sorry features of conservative evangelicalism is that it has become more adept than any other branch of Christendom at making the peripheral central and the central peripheral and engaging in dialogue and discussions that have the effect of upsetting people's faith rather than encouraging it. And I don't know what other branches of Christendom are like. But as I sat and thought about that for the eight years I've been the pastor here and the folks that I've ran into, I thought, yeah, that's true. We can just become so adept at making the things at the peripheral so central. And the things that are central, we just push them out to the side. And when that happens, then it breeds a quarrelsomeness. And it becomes disruptive. And Paul is saying, don't be that kind of person. And back in verse 14, you see, he talks about it. And I think what he's saying in verse 14 is, Timothy, you're going to be a pastor in a church and you're going to find people in your congregation who aren't really aiming at the gospel. They've swerved from the truth. And he's saying, you know, once you realize they're not aiming at the gospel, just don't get into quarrels with those types of people. They're not really going to serve any purpose but then I think here in this verse, 24, he's saying, don't be a quarrelsome type of person. You're going to be the leader. And your flock needs somebody who's not quarrelsome because that makes people jittery. And, and I thought about this in terms of what, what would be a good illustration of this. And to me, one of the best illustrations is our current political structure or maybe our, our current political landscape. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or Independent or a Tea Party person or whatever you would call yourself, I think everyone would look at Washington and say, it's quarrelsome, it's, it's disruptive. We don't know which way these things are going to work out. Are, are we going to do this for the banks or are we not? Are we going to do this about health care or are we not? Are we going to fix global warming or are we not going to fix? Whatever the issues are, up at the top, it's just kind of turmoil. And what do you see in the stock market? Up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's because businesses can't figure out what the leadership is going to do. And so you have this jittery business community because they can't figure out, this quarrelsome leadership can't figure out which direction to go. Timothy, don't be quarrelsome. Your congregation is going to have all kinds of questions. You make sure you aim for the gospel. You keep that in front of your people. You keep reminding your people of that. 
Because if you become quarrelsome, then people get around you and they think, oh, I don't know, which way is Paul going to go? He yelled at me one time and was nice to me the other. And it makes everybody jittery. And so it's a critical component for leadership in a church that we not be quarrelsome. Instead, then he says this. This is the ball he passes to Timothy. Be kind. The, the picture is uh, a mother who's nursing an infant. Be able to teach. Not, not just give instruction, but your whole life people are looking at it and they're exa- examining your life. You've got to show people what you're talking about and how you live. Patiently endure evil. Now, this is what that phrase means. Bear evil without resentment. Timothy, you're going to be the pastor of a church. You're going to have to bear evil without resentment. Correct opponents with gentleness. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath. So Paul's passing to Timothy. Timothy's passing to me. Paul, be kind to everyone, able to teach. Bear evil without resentment. Correct opponents with gentleness. What what do you think of when you hear that list? Here's what I think of. I wouldn't want to be a pastor. <laughs> Good, I'm not a pastor. I guess I don't have to do those things. That's my first thought. I look at this list and say, hey, I don't want to catch this one. I'm going to pass. Oh, okay, I can do that. But I'll bear evil without resentment. Oh, boy, that one got by me. Darn. That's what I think. Why? Because it just seems impossible. How am I going to be able to do that? What's the answer to that? Look back at verse 14, chapter 2. Be strong in what? Be strong in the grace of God. See, if you're not strong in the grace of God, if you don't understand that He is that for you, He has borne your evil without resentment. He is teaching you. He is correcting you with gentleness. He is coming alongside of you in the way He's asking you to come alongside of other people. If you think you're going to be able to do that on your own, forget about it. You're not going to be able to do it. So he tells Timothy, before I give you any list of workmen, here's what you must be strong in. You've got to be strong in the gospel. It's got to affect your life. Because if it's not affecting your life, you're not going to be able to walk alongside your congregation. Finally, in our last point, he gives us one more piece. Verse 22, it's not just who you're running from or what you're running from or not what just what you're running toward but also who you are running with verse 22 do these things along with those who call on the lord from a pure heart this is so simple you say it to every again from my experience in young life you just say it over and over and over again to teenagers it matters who you're around it matters who you're running with. Paul says it in Corinthians, bad company corrupts good character. And you think this is so easy. It's 
not, this is not rocket science. You didn't say, wow, I never even knew that. You go, yes, it does. It, you are what you eat. You know it in so many different ways. And you need to be around people who are spurring you on. Who are saying, hey, I'm, I'm about ready to quit. No, you're not going to quit. You're going to keep going. We're, oh, I'm thinking about taking a left. No, you're not going to take a left. You're going to keep going. You need people like that in your life. And I was thinking about this particular point when I was at the YMCA this past week. And so I get on the, what I call the treadmill. And so I'm getting on the treadmill, and next to me is a guy. I don't know him that well, but I really know his wife because she was involved in Young Life. And so we kind of nod at each other, hey, you're doing okay. You know what you have to do, even though you don't really want to talk to anybody, but you say those things. And so you're kind of being nice, and we're, you know, I am moving out on my treadmill at 20 minutes per mile, I think. It's incredible, the speed. And this guy's just slugging along at maybe six minutes a mile. But we're kind of keeping pace with each other. And we run for, I don't remember, 20 minutes maybe. And then he stops. We both got our little iPod, you know, buds in. And we're, we're running. He stops and I look at him and I go. And he takes his, iPod, his little bud out and I say, I know your wife. She would be embarrassed if you stopped before I did. <laughs> well, he didn't really know how to take it, so he pushed the button back up, and he's running. And we ran for about 10 more minutes. It was so funny. I was just trying to make a joke. He's like, you're right, you're right. Why? Because you've got to be running alongside of somebody who says, you're not going to quit here. And here's my guess. For many of us in here, you quit a long time ago. Because you're running by yourself. Or you're running with the wrong crowd. You know what the right thing is to do. But you just quit. You got too tired. You didn't have somebody look at it and you go, no, we're not going that way. So, so we need to ask ourselves, what is it we're running from? What is it we're running to? And who are the people that are running with us to say, yes, we're going to have a long obedience in the same direction. It's going to be towards the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, it's such a practical, practical sermon. Such application to our lives. And, and I pray just by the, the power of this spoken word and this written word and the work of your Holy Spirit, that whatever it is, the one thing or maybe two things that people here need to hold on to, where, where are they lingering and you're identifying that for them? Are they pursuing the right things? What, what youthful passion never got addressed and still continues to plague an, an older man or an older woman? Where might we be quarrelsome? Who are we running with? And are they encouraging us to go in the same direction? Lord, I pray for your work to be done. Lord, we thank you for this building, for your people, for generosity. We pray for Paul Snyder and Andrew Barton, who both are in, a, in Haiti and trying to, to be some small help. 
over there. And I pray that you would take the money that we give and multiply it in a way that, that continues to help hurting people in Wilmington and hurting people around the globe for the purposes of lifting up your name. In that name we pray. Amen.